Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. I'm David Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This, our uh, scripture study podcast where we move through this year, the Old Testament. And video, and if video. you're watching. Yeah, video podcast or listening podcast. <laughs> um, and uh, we follow the Come Follow Me curriculum and point out things we think you don't want to miss. And we're almost done with the Old Testament. Can you believe we are almost done with the Old yeah, Testament? Yeah, October. It now. is crazy. It's October. So many people that I've talked to in the last couple of weeks just keep saying, I didn't realize I was going to love it as much as I have, which makes me so happy. I know. Did you tell them I told you so? Because remember, we started in the New Testament. You're telling people how much they were going to love the Old Testament. Yeah, and we did. We loved it. Now we probably need to start talking about how much we're about to love the New Testament. Well, it's true because I'm excited to end the Old Testament. That's true. But because we kind of have to start getting ready for the next year, my heart starts to move to... Yes, what's like coming. to what's coming. Oh, and we have good things in store, you guys. We have such good things New in Testament store. New Testament is like, you just can't beat it, you know? It, it's honestly, like yeah. the God we learn about in the Old Testament is about to come to the world and walk and talk among us and be on our streets and yeah. sit at our dinner tables. Yeah, and we met Jehovah and now... He will uh, come. He will come and we'll get to see who Jesus really is as he interacts with real live people along the way. Yeah, it gives a really, the beginning of the New Testament at least, gives a beautiful picture of the character and heart and nature of God. It like, Mm. it paints it, you know, so you're like, it's not an idea anymore. It's an actual like experience and story. And it's just, Isaiah prophesies and Matthew will quote him and says, his name is Emmanuel which means God with us. And that's exactly what you get to, what you're going to get to see. And yeah, it's going to be experience. so good. And speaking of all of our, everything, all our resources that we made, um, the journal for like the Institute class, the devotional book for nighttime, the word a week poster to hang up, all these things that we created that might be a help to you um, in your study of the New Testament next year on presale are in. Right now. <laughs> you just made me think I was in the emergency room. Uh, why? Registered nurse. Oh, oh, okay. It also means right now. So <laughs> That shows our age difference. <laughs> you thought a nurse was about to come. <laughs> That's all right. I like people who heal. Yeah, okay, same. Uh, all right. So let's uh, jump into the timeline. Also, Feast of the Tabernacles is coming up, but we'll talk about it later. But just... In the lesson he means. In but the lesson. you're currently probably either a week away from the Feast of the Tabernacles if you're celebrating with us, or if you're watching it week two, you're you're in it. You're in the Feast of the Tabernacles, yeah. which is so fun. So we'll talk about that because it kind of fits really nicely into, into the lesson today, which is cool. Okay, three pieces go on the timeline this week to give you kind of an idea of, of where we are. And this is when um, the timeline is going to start getting so fun in a new way. <laughs> oh, in a okay. new way. Okay. Like, because your best line. Um, we all of a sudden the Book of Mormon is going to start. And I think it is so fun that the Book of Mormon starts at the end of the Old Testament so we can actually see where it fits. And today um, in this lesson is when the Book of Mormon begins. 
And on the timeline, you're going to watch the Book of Mormon going this way all the way through the rest of what's happening in the Old Testament, which like my mind loves to know where is God working everywhere. Yeah, that's a cool thought. Super cool thought. Yeah. So remember this line right here, for those who are listening on podcasts and can't see it, the split of the kingdom, the northern and southern kingdom. The northern kingdom ends up, remember, being taken away captivity into Assyria, and they're scattered and gone uh, and lost. That's why we call them the lost ten tribes, right? The scattering of Israel right there. The southern kingdom, you remember, goes a little bit longer than the northern kingdom does. And right now, we already read that back in the book of Kings when they get conquered by Babylon. We also read when they got brought back to the promised land and with Persia and Esther and Ezra and Nehemiah, right? We, we've all, in the history in the part, history section, we talked about the, how they all come back. But right now where we are in the book, because we're going by prophets now, so we were by Isaiah, now we're going to be in Jeremiah. And this is the part before Ezra and Nehemiah come back. This is the part before Esther. Um, it's, this is what is happening uh, before all of that. Yeah, so he's the prophet. Jeremiah, you're going to put in this little 42 spot right here. He is the prophet um, who will prophesy about and actually experience and be an eyewitness to the the conquering of Jerusalem, the burning of the temple, and the taking of the captives of the children of Israel into Babylon. We'll find out in just a second when we read that there are also many other prophets. Jeremiah will say this a couple times throughout the whole book. And mention these other prophets that, that the Lord also sent. We're at that gonna, same time. At the same time. There were prophets everywhere, which is actually confusing. We should talk about this for a minute. Because I was um, talking to someone once who talked about that uh, Lehi was the only righteous prophet of that time. And that is why he left and went to um, the Americas. That's why he left and came to this new place where they were going to go to because he was the only righteous prophet, which isn't actually true. The Lord sent so many prophets at that time, right before Babylon is going to come. And they're going to be prophets that we will actually read about at the end. Um, in the, in the last books of the old Testament, we're going to meet some of his friends, people who were preaching at the same time of him. They were all working together to try to save Jerusalem. And one of those many prophets was Lehi. Yeah, so you're going to put Lehi in this little spot right here because while Jeremiah stays in Jerusalem and watches the downfall and collapse of it, Lehi leaves Jerusalem right before that happens and then starts this whole other storyline over here. And, and so that's it's where It's so they interesting all fit. to think too, how do you get what your journey is going to be? Like, why Why did Jeremiah draw the stick for staying in captivity? Yeah. Lehi got to draw, I'm going to go into this new place and take my family out. And, and we're going to miss that whole destruction. And um, you kind of have that thing where some of us have to stay and do the captivity part. And some of us are going to go and start that new place. And the interesting thing is they both had struggles. I think that's so interesting that... Just because Lehi got to miss what was going to happen in Jerusalem didn't mean it wasn't hard. And that his journey taught him as much about the Lord as his journey would teach him about the Lord. Well, and I think this is really important that they're both here happening at the same time because 
like you learn a little bit about the character of God. Like there's some people who might assume the character of God is he takes me away and prevents the hard things, the hard things from happening. It's like, that's not true. Like he actually calls Jeremiah into a really hard thing and he calls Leah into a different hard thing. And so you just are seeing like, oh, sometimes this and sometimes this is my story. And the Lord is behind both of them and, and all of them. And I love that we know Lehi's story so well. We are so familiar with Lehi and Nephi and Laman and Lemuel and what was happening in their story right here. And I love that what's going to happen is our eyes are going to be open today to what was happening in someone else's story who was living at that same time and how the Lord showed up there as well. Yeah. So really cool timeline pieces that actually teach And we'll a fill lesson. these in. Don't we're not going to leave these blank for you. We will fill these in as we When we get to the yeah, little when prophets. Yeah, we get to the little prophets. At the end. I mean, they were a big deal, but they're just called the little <laughs> they, the little book prophets. <laughs> <laughs> they just have little books. <laughs> okay, so, so if you funny. open up the book of Jeremiah right to the beginning. Um, oh, and we should say this. Um, if you're doing the tip-ins, there's Lehi leaving. You might want to put right in the beginning of Jeremiah. So every time you get here, you'll be like, oh yeah, that's right. These guys were uh, co-prophets. They were prophets at the same time. Now, here's something that's going to help you a little bit with Jeremiah. One, the setting of what's happening, right? This is sort of like the Lord's uh, last-ditch effort <laughs> for these people, you know, before Jerusalem is, is going to be destroyed. You'll see sections in here, like some of my favorite verses are in here, the Lord saying, I'm going to send you one more time, one last time, you know, uh, to these people. And so, um, you, you know the setting. It's a people who've turned their back on the Lord. We'll read about him in a second. And Jeremiah is called to be among them. Um, this book is the longest book in the Old Testament. It's got the most words mm. of, of any other book. And it is a collection of Jeremiah's sermons, writings, poetry, that his assistant, his name is Baruch, he actually compiles them. Um, later on in his life and puts it together as a book, which is cool because you don't always get the story of how the Bible was yeah. compiled like in it. And so this is one book where, where we know. So, And something else interesting while you're talking about that and him living in that time and before you get into who is Jeremiah um, is to think of this. Don't you wonder if maybe Lehi had his call already and he was going to leave and Jeremiah was like, hey. wait. <laughs> Um, but the one thing that is interesting about him is that he is a prophet who actually gets to see his prophecies fulfilled. Mm. Like he prophesied what was going to happen. And then he actually lived through those prophecies being realized, which don't you think that's interesting? Yeah, it makes me wonder like how often that actually happens. Like how often do you see, would a prophet see the fulfillment yes. of some of those things, yeah. you know? Um, which is which is cool. Um, so, compi compilation. Uh, you're going to see a lot of similar themes to Isaiah. We're talking like a mm. similar group of people, a similar outcome. Um, and and so that's that. One thing I thought, if you're reading through this last part of the Old Testament and you're like, they keep saying the same thing again and again and again and again. I thought to myself, what if you took like all the writings of conference and like put them back to back to back to back to back? Or like take... 
Elder Bednar's sermons, like everyone that he gives at all the state conferences and everywhere and put them, he was like, you might see a lot of really similar ideas mm-hmm. coming up again and again and again, which says two things. One, no one's listening. Or two, <laughs> so he has to say it again. It's like a mom who's like, I have said this for the 19th time, you know? Um, I love that you or... put on a mom voice. <laughs> or, mom, that's not what you sounded like, just so you know. Or, or Jenny. Jenny. Or Jenny, just so you all know. You sounded so pleasant when you got mad at us. Um or like that he's giving these sermons in different places to different groups of people. We just have them all smashed together. So um, anyways, if you, I well, was thinking Well, and it's that. interesting too that the need mm. is so repetitive. Like you're like, why did you not learn this the first time? But here's the tricky part is I read Jeremiah and I see us in Jeremiah. And so yeah. also I wonder if the writers were like, well, they're not going to get this quite right. So we should... Tell them again. <laughs> well, also, this was kind of cool. I thought this last week with Isaiah that, like, you, he might have felt like a failure. Like, he was like, I gave those words again and again and again, and, and, and eventually not. Now, he did do some good in his lifetime. Certainly some listened, right? Hezekiah, for example, turns the whole kingdom around because yeah. of their friendship, which is awesome. But it makes me think, like, I want to say to Isaiah, I was like, I think your best work actually happened in our day. Mm. Like, you spoke it and may have died thinking you were a failure. But, like, people have, um, people talk about you all the time, (laughs) just so you know. And people have written operas about you, about your words. And Christmas songs have been written by your words. And it's inspired generations of Mm. of people. And so, same too with Jeremiah. You were like, you really, um, your words are still making an impact today. Mm. Like how cool for him to know that. Hopefully he gets a front seat in heaven. So <laughs> right at the beginning, Jeremiah 1, it says, here's the words of Jeremiah, um, the word of the Lord that came to him. Um, he started in the days of Josiah. You remember him, that king, one of the righteous kings of Israel. And it says it'll he will preach through Josiah and also his son Jehoiakim in verse 3 and all the way to Zedekiah. In verse 3. And there's a Book of Mormon connection there. In the beginning of 1 Nephi 1, you'll read and it says, In the days of King Zedekiah. Okay? So that's that same king that we're talking about in Jeremiah 1 and 1 Nephi um, 1. And, and it says he will be the prophet through all those kings leading up to the carrying away and the temple being burned down and, and everything. And then you get this sweet scene that's like um, that you've seen before mm. um, with other prophets, where the Lord comes to him in verse five and he says, "Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee," um, which is a a powerful truth that um, that is, I think, um, in some ways unique to restored Christianity. Mm. Of I knew you beforehand, and I knew and I prepared you. We learned that in the Doctrine and Covenants. I prepared you before you came here for the mission that would be yours. I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet unto the nations. And just stop for one second because I love those three words I think are so important. Um, And especially if you look at the meaning behind those three words, what he's saying right there in verse 5 is, first of all, I, I knew you, which you talked about. I know you. I know who you are. But second, that word sanctified means um, you were set apart for that. And I love the thought of that. But before you even came out of the womb, I set you apart for this thing, for this purpose. I had a work 
for you uh, that I already knew before you even were born. And then the third one, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. And I love that that word ordained can be translated as a call to arise. Do you mm, love that? Yeah. So I love that he was known, that he was set apart, and that he was called to arise. Or sometimes we use the word chosen um, or ordained for this moment. Like he was like, I knew that before you were even born, we knew this was going to happen. Yeah. That this battle was coming and that you would be the prophet called to this people, right? And Lehi would be the prophet called to this people. And it, he knew already what was going to happen. And the only fill in the blank that um, we would put in this verse for anybody reading it is the line, a prophet unto the nations, right? For Jeremiah, like you would read this verse and it would be the same. Before mm -hmm. I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before you came out of the womb, I sanctified thee and I ordained thee a fill in the blank. And then mm -hmm. your fill in the blank will be different than Jeremiah's unless you're President Irene, then it will be the same, <laughs> right? But, it, but, uh, but everybody who's listening has a fill in the blank there because it's true about everybody listening. The, the Lord formed you, he knew you, he sanctified you, and he called you to arise to I, I don't know. Whatever to, to the something. mission he has for you. Right. Um, and you might, like Jeremiah, respond back and, and, and say, I can't speak. Verse 6, I'm a kid. I love like when you he's like, I'm, uh, I'm, <laughs> I love that they wrote that in there. I, uh. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I, I, I'm just a kid. And the Lord said, don't say I'm a kid. For I will, you will go to all that I will send you. And whatsoever, whatsoever I command you, you are going to speak. Now that might sound nice because then he touches his mouth and he says, your words are going to be my words. And like, that's fantastic. Like, wouldn't that be just great? But he says, but here's what you're going to speak in verse 10. I have set thee this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy and to throw down. And it's kind of like, wait, I wanted the other job. You know, like, why did you give me the job to pull down and throw down and destroy and, and, and root out? And you'll see a lot of his writings. He really is given that commission. Like he's called sometimes the weeping prophet because probably because he was so sad about the job he had, you know, and it was just mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to have any friends. Later in this chapter, it says, go to all the priests and to all the princes and kings. And speak against them. Could you imagine if you were supposed to speak against every religious leader and every social leader and every political leader in the world? Like that was your job? It's like you would not be very popular at all. Mm. And he will go to prison and he will be taken captive and he will be threatened and that will be his life. But there's something really cool in 10 too because he says, you'll speak words that root out, pull down, destroy and throw down. But just like we saw in Isaiah, you will also speak words to build and to plant. There will be a message of hope throughout everything that you are preaching. And I love that in that one verse, we get to see the character of God. Like sometimes I have to say to people, this is not how it is supposed to go. And there will be consequences to your actions. But the end result is always the same character of God. He is someone who builds and who plants. Right. And if he's ever tearing down, it's for the reason 
to rebuild. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. it's a it's a restorative. Yeah. Restorative work. Yeah. Right. Which is what he's, and and like I said at the beginning, like it's like his last ditch effort, and that's not true. It's his last chance before they're taken captive, but then immediately he comes back again. Yeah. He was just like, I was just trying to help you avoid this. But I'm now not that giving we're up here. on you, but <laughs> I was just trying to help you avoid this. That's so awesome. So Jeremiah 1, fantastic chapter about like his call. And we see similarities with us. And then there are just a whole slew of chapters in a row that are his sermons to the people. And we learn a little bit more about their character and nature, the people he's speaking to and and it kind of holds up a mirror. Yeah, a little it does bit for us. For us. Um, but I love that he ends chapter one with this. And I think it's important because Jeremiah is like, I don't want this job. This isn't what I want to do right now. And I love when the Lord says to him in 19, they're going to fight against you, but they won't prevail against you. For I am with you, saith the Lord, to deliver you. And I just love the thought of that. Like you might feel alone and it, it might feel too big, but I will be with you. I won't be watching. I will be with you in whatever you do. And I love the thought of that because Jeremiah walks into a world that is not a very nice world. And um, the things that he teaches kind of are a self-check for us today. I feel like where you're like, uh, am I doing any of these things? I love when he says, and I'm just going to take you through a whole bunch of chapters just a couple verses each chapter, just to paint this picture. And it'll be really similar to the picture Lehi paints, right? It's going to mm-hmm. be, it's the same people. So it's going to be a similar story. And can I just pause you for one second? Yeah. I, I think it's interesting that in 19, when he says they'll fight against you, but will not prevail against you. Mm-hmm. Like he's going to go to prison and he's going to be taken away as a slave into Egypt. And and yeah. I think he would have to come back and remember that verse. Yes, that's that so like, good. It, that might seem like you lost, that they did prevail against you because you ended up going to jail, like unjustly. Mm. And you ended up being taken away unjustly. But I think that would be a really hopeful and helpful mm. verse for somebody so who's good. like, maybe yeah. I don't know what prevail against actually means. You know? Yeah, yeah that even though it's hard, doesn't mean that there's God's no gone. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that you've lost. Yeah. That's so good. Okay. Sorry. I just was. <laughs> so we go into two and I love that a question is asked twice in six and, and eight. Where is the Lord? And it's interesting because they live in a society, in a culture, in a community that someone is actually asking that question. Where is the Lord? Which I think is so interesting because I was talking with Grace and her friend Annabelle a couple months ago about the culture we live in and this cancel culture and that you have to be so careful everything you say or you're like gone, right? And in essence, we were like, it's like there is no grace. Mm. There's no room for mistakes and then growth. We, we're not making room for that in our culture. And if there is no grace we had talked about in the car, then is there no Jesus? Mm. And if there is no Jesus, then there is no love. Like it just starts going down. And I love that they want to say, where, where is the Lord in society? And and do we see that too? And I love when he says this, um, in verse 13, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns 
that can hold no water. And I'm so fascinated by that thought that um, like that it isn't the fact that there isn't water there. There is, but they've turned away from that. Yeah. And not only have they turned away, but the thing that they would have used to carry that water in, they broke. Yeah. So they're not even like equipped for the Lord to be part of their life. And then he says to them, here's what's happening in um, Jeremiah 6. He says, I'm going to go to Jeremiah 6. Um, oh, wait, I wanted to go first to chapter 3. I jumped too far. In chapter 3, he wants to say, he starts giving Israel a new name. And this name is backsliding Israel. In verse 11, he tells us in verse 12, he says, return thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord. And then uh, I will remove all these hard things from you. But you just see this backsliding that is happening in verse 14 again in verse 22, return you backsliding Israel. He keeps telling them. And I love that all the way through, like you were talking about, Jeremiah is there to bring hope, to to bring a chance for repentance of returning back to the Lord. And the Lord says in um, Jeremiah 6, 16, thus saith the Lord, just stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way and walk therein? But, and then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we won't walk therein. That isn't what we want to do. Mm. So it wasn't that the prophet wasn't telling them where the path was. Or, or that where there the wasn't way a path was. in, there, there actually was a path. Yeah. There was a way yeah. out. But they, but they said, we don't actually want to walk that way. Yeah. That's not what we want to do. And then it makes me think, am I, am I doing that? Do I ever do that where I... The prophet is saying, this is the path. And then I'm like, I actually don't want to walk that way. And that's what it sounds like backsliding Israel was choosing is that. And every time I hear that phrase backsliding, I think of two images. One is like a kind of like a an uphill like that you're walking. And if you stopped walking that you would slide, yeah. you know, backwards. And also the like the kind of the concept of a river. Like sometimes we say, you know, like I'm just going to go with the flow. But nature says that flow moves down always. It yeah. always go, It doesn't go up ever. So to just like, you know, go with the flow of culture, society will probably be a backsliding mm. flow. It just is like by nature things like head towards chaos yes. and then and you're making me think and... of isaiah that scripture where he talks about the temple the covenant house and that people will flow up into it do you remember when it yeah. says that and yeah. it's so interesting because rivers don't flow uh, up so it will have to be a conscious choice right if that's what you're going to choose which is so interesting in jeremiah 7 um 24, it says, they didn't listen, they didn't incline their ear, but they walked in the councils and in the imagination of their evil heart, and they went backward and not forward. And he said, I have even sent unto you all my servants, the prophets, daily, rising up early, I sent them. And I think it is so interesting, and I love when he talks about it was prophets, like one was not enough for what was happening um, but there was this band of brothers, right? There was this group that all went out to try to save Israel and they um, and they couldn't. And, and when you think about that group of prophets, it does remind us of what you were talking about in First Nephi 
1, 4, where it says, It came to pass in the commencement of the first year of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, my father Lehi, having dwelled at Jerusalem all his days, and in that same year there came many prophets prophesying unto the people that they must repent or the great city Jerusalem must be destroyed. And I love that thought that um, God was like, if Jeremiah can't do this by himself, I will send Lehi and I will send all of these people that we will mention as we go through to try and help the cause, which was going to be so important to them. Which is so, so like just that S at the end of prophet yeah. is like that one letter teaches a sermon about the heart and character of God. Mm. That one plural letter says something about who he is. Yes. And it also says something about mankind because within that place, there were men who were willing to rise to the occasion. And how many of them were like, uh, uh, (laughs) I don't want to do this, but they did. They rose up into that tricky situation. So you have the not wanting the living water. You have the backsliding going on. In chapter 10, it tells us, this is what you're doing right now, is you're cutting a tree out of the forest and you're bringing it home with your axe, with your axe and then you're decking it with silver and with gold and fastening it with nails and with hammers. And then he tells them, it doesn't move. Do you realize this idol that you are creating and covering with silver and gold and fastening it with nails that it moves not? They are upright as a palm tree, but they speak not. They must needs be born because, or carried, because they cannot go. And um, I think it is so interesting that he's like, why are you choosing to spend all of your time following, worshiping, thinking about creating these idols that cannot speak and they cannot move and they cannot go they don't care after you Mm. um and and do we do that like what is the thing we spend the most time thinking about doing what is our passion what is our hobby what is our life and and is god balanced into whatever that thing is which i think is so important and then the last place that i love i'm going to take you clear to the back of the book first which is going to be in Jeremiah 44. And it's so interesting, um, this thought, where he talks about um, what the people looked like, the men and the women and the families and everyone. And then there is this one verse in 44, 15, that says, Then all the men which knew that their wives had burned incense unto other gods, and all the women that stood by a great multitude answered Jeremiah, saying, and I, I think there is such an important truth right there because it wasn't just the men and the women who like blatantly chose to turn away from God, Hmm. but I love the mention of the woman, the women who stood by and watched Hmm. that they just watched, which makes me think to myself, I don't want to be one of the woman, women who stood by. I don't want to see all of this happening and be like lukewarm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Of like, I'm not actually going to probably g- turn away, but I'm also not actually turned toward either. I'm just this, the woman who stand by and allow 
all of this to happen and watch what's happening. It makes me think of a quote by um, Joseph F. Smith that I love so much. He's talking about um, the pioneer women, the women who had to make that choice. What were they going to do? And he said, death was nothing to them. Hardship was nothing. Cold or rain or heat was nothing to them. All they felt and knew and desired was the triumph of the kingdom of God and the truth that the Lord had given to them. And then with all the sincerity of a prophet of God, he pled, my soul, where are those women now? Mm. And I just love that thought of this was a time that was probably really lonely for the people who were the believers. Um, there's just one more verse I want to take you to, and it's in um, chapter 15, verse 17. And it just makes you just stop and ponder for a minute. It's just three words. Um, I want to make sure I get them right. Chapter 15, and it's going to be verse 17 is where you're going. Um, he says, I sat alone. And I think that's so interesting that um, as believers, there may be times in our life where we feel that same thing, that I, I feel alone in what I believe and what I'm doing. And especially if a lot of your circle of friends are leaving um, or your family, leaving faith right now, which is so common right now. And it seemed to be a really common theme here that that can feel so lonely. Um, but it is a time where we can do what Jeremiah did, where we can remember the Lord knows us. He saw this time and we were set apart to come at this time. And will we rise up? Will we become those women and those men who know the Lord and who represent him in all of those places? And, and I think it's important to say what that representing looks like um, because it looks like following the law, but it also looks like loving really well and it feels like this was a time where there was no grace and there was no Jehovah and there was no love during this time yeah I when you first read that verse about the women who stood by it made me think like at first I thought it was a, a positive thing and it's interesting that that phrase could be used in both ways mm. right they stood by and did nothing or they could have said, I stood by Jeremiah so he wouldn't mm. be alone. Yes. And it's like we you get a choice. Either way. Which standing by, you know, do we want to, you know, lean into? Um, I, I think there's this line in the middle of all that, maybe as a last line for all that, that this is what Israel's like. And then if you look at Jeremiah 2 9, wherefore I will yet plead with you, mm. saith the Lord. And with your children's children will I plead. And to me, there's something like really touching about a God who begs. Mm. And because it seems beneath a person to beg. Yeah. And, and, but he's, but he came below all things. And he's, and he, here he is saying like, you've refused me. You've ignored me. You've spoken bad about me. And yet he still is begging them to come back mm. and and it's that's that is fascinating to me that's like a, i would never ever give that advice to a boyfriend or a girlfriend who's like mm. they've been treated that way like yes. in a relationship yeah. i would i would never say beg for them you know to come back and so i mean that jeremiah 2 9 is one mm. of the many many evidences throughout this 
book of what the Lord, how the Lord feels even about a rebellious and a refusing mm -hmm. group. Um, so that's kind of what's happening in everything. Now, as the story goes, and you could, you would read this in the book of Jeremiah, it actually happens as Jeremiah says, and the children of Israel are taken away as captives into Babylon. There are a couple different sieges against the city. Um, first siege, lots of people taken. Second siege, a couple of years later. And the third siege is when they come in and knock down the walls and burn down the temple and take away everything. And it's a complete, you know, destruction. But it actually happens. And the children of Israel will then be taken as captive slaves into Babylon, and we want to shift and talk about that right now. Um, what a section that we're going to call lessons from captivity, or another way of saying that is making it through the middle. Yeah, you it's know? so awesome that in some places in scripture, and this is true in our own life too, which I think this is something I feel passionate about. So often in church, people stand up and they want to, they don't tell their intimate or vulnerable stories of their life until they're over. Have you yeah. ever noticed that? Yeah. Until the answer came and or the miracle or the thing that had been promised. And then they're like, let me tell you my story. And that is tricky because I think most of us don't live in... Happily ever after. Yes. I think we live in the middle. Yeah. We're in the middle of that story. And one of the things I love is that within scripture. Well, and if anyone's in mortality, by nature, yes, they're in the in middle. In the middle, right? Yes. Um, in scripture, um, if sometimes. If anyone's in mortality, as if people out of mortality <laughs> are listening to the right show. Now. <laughs> it was a little presumptuous. All of us. Um, so I think one thing that is super interesting is. Sometimes we only get a vignette in scripture of someone's life. We just get this little moment that happened. But there are some stories where we actually get to watch an entire journey unfold. And the thing I love about these stories, Lehi traveling through the wilderness, uh, Moses and Joshua traveling through the wilderness. Jeremiah is going to be another one where we are going to watch this captivity play out. And the thing I love the most about it is we get scripture, whole chapters about the middle moments. Mm -hmm. And there are lessons to be found in the middle. Sure, we love the Red Sea moment. Yeah. We love the moment when Ezra and Nehemiah are going to come back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. We love those moments. We love when they finally, in the Book of Mormon, reach the Promised Land. The brother of Jared is another great example. We love the endings. But I think the lessons in the middle can be some of the most profound lessons of our life. And to remember what God knows, that he knows the end from the beginning. I love um, this quote from a woman whose name is Myrtle Reed. She lived in the early 1900s and she said, Do not question too much, dear friend, for the God who ordained the beginning can safely be trusted with the end as well as with all that lies between. And I love that thought about trusting. And um, as we start thinking about these lessons in captivity, the lessons from the middle, this first one that we are going to talk about kind of hints toward that idea, that quote of um, making it through the middle. You want to yeah, go to Yeah, I was like, before you, yeah. before you jump in, this is where we want to talk about that Feast of the Tabernacles. Because if you miss the explanation 
from a couple weeks ago on our video. Man, I, can, I wish I could remember which one that was so we could point you to it. Um, where we talked about the Feast of the Tabernacles. It's a celebration. It's a feast or, that the Lord orchestrated that he wanted them, the children of Israel, to celebrate every year. And it commemorated the 40 years in the middle or the 40 years in the wilderness. And yeah, so, it's a reminder of of God's provision. Yeah, during a time of middleness, yeah. right? And so it's so awesome that like this lesson is happening right during the dates that we will celebrate the Feast of the Tabernacles. So watch on our Instagram for kind of teachings about what that is and maybe some instructions for how if you want to participate in that kind of commemoration yeah. celebration. Yeah, it's so fun because I think one of the things that is the most important is um, as they every year Jewish people will celebrate this Feast of the Tabernacles in the fall as a reminder that God really did take care of them in the wandering. And we can do the same, right? We can, I love that the booths are not full walls. They're three walls. Three sides. Yeah, but you can see out the stars and, and it reminds you that God knows the end from the beginning and that he's there with you along the way. I talked to a young women's leader. They're going to do... Um, celebrate the Feast of the Tabernacles with their young women. And in order to do it, they gave all of their young women 12 by 12 canvases. And they told... Like a foot by a foot? Squares? Yeah, a square. um, To They all took one home, and they are supposed to write on that square where they've seen the Lord show up in their life this year, where they've seen Him in the goals they're working on and in their relationships and just in the things that are going on in their life and a scripture to represent that, what they learned about the Lord. And that's what they are hanging in their tabernacle, which I love. It's super cool. Yeah, it's such a good idea of just remembering that the God who knows the beginning and who already ordained the end can surely be trusted with the middle yeah. and what is going to happen there. And and that's the first lesson we want you to remember in this making it through the middle. It's found in chapter 24 and it's um, in verses five through seven. Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so will I acknowledge them that are carried away captive of Judah, whom I have sent out of this place into the land of the Chaldeans for their good. For I will set my eyes upon them for good and I will bring them again to this land and I will build them and not pull them down and I will plant them and not pluck them up. And I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. And they shall be my people and I will be their God, for they shall return unto me with their whole heart. Mm. And I just love the thought that as they're entering into captivity, like they are going into the middle. That's where they're going. And the first thing he says to them is, remember who I am. Remember my character is to build and to plant. And if you can just return to me with your whole heart, you're going to get through this. So that's lesson number one, return with your whole heart. If you are in a middle moment, then just turn to him with your whole heart in that moment and trust that he is a builder and a planter. That's what's coming. There's a second lesson in that first set of verses and you see at the end of uh, verse five where he says, I've sent you out of this place for their good. 
And then at the beginning of six, for I will set mine eyes upon them for good. And it just reminds me of that set of verses from Liberty Jail, where mm. remember that the yes. Lord promises and says to, to Joseph there in a prison place, in his own captivity, in a moment that he would say is the middle when he's like, where are you? Um, remember at the end of section 122, um, where he just says to him in verse seven, um, no, after, if, if, you, if, if you're thrown in the pit, if you're with the murder, if all these things have happened, he just says, all these things will give thee experience and shall be for thy good. I didn't cause them, but I'm going to take them and I'm going to turn them mm. for uh, your good. Um, and so that's an, another lesson for, I think, in the middle is to, is to believe and trust that God's going to take whatever the conditions are of this place and he's going to teach us slash mold us, build us in a way that will be for our good. Yeah, that's so good. Um, several years ago, we went to the, um, in Alpine by our house, there is a big nativity that takes place. Did we go together? Uh, I don't know if we've ever been together. I've been okay. lots of times, and I've I don't been, know. And I was with my brother McKinley, but I have a vague recollection of you being there. So see if this sounds familiar. Okay, maybe I did. Um, we had to wait in line for an hour and it was freezing cold and we are standing in this line <laughs> and there's a million kids running around us and you can't really see what's happening and i'm not sure we even explained it well to the kids that we were going with that we were going to have to wait you could see ahead what was happening there were lights but it was dark where we were and all of a sudden my little nephew mac said it's worth it to give up. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember thinking at the time how funny that was to be like, he saw where we were and he saw where we were going. And we were really right in the middle after an hour long wait. And I love that he was like, it's worth it to give up. <laughs> like he had waited in the balance. And then he was like, yeah, we should. But we didn't. We stayed there. And then we had this remarkable evening where we walked finally into this lit town that was there. And there were shepherds and there were Roman soldiers. And uh, all this stuff was going on. And at the very end, there was this little barn with a father and a mother and this tiny baby. And it just was worth it at the end. We found Jesus mm. at the end. And I think sometimes we have to remember there will be days when we're like, it's worth it to give up, right? <laughs> like, yeah. I can't even hope towards the end because it, it feels like I'm not even close to the end. But um, that promise that Jesus is going to be there through it all and that there actually will be an end eventually. And I love in 29... It's like the people are like, okay, now we actually are going into captivity. So Jeremiah must have been right. And so they turn to Jeremiah and they're like, what's going to happen now? Like you were actually right so far all the way. So what is going to happen now? And I love when he says in 29 verse four, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel unto all that are carried away captives, whom I have caused to be carried away Here's what you should do. And I think in their mind, they probably were like, okay, what, do, what does the next part look like? But also don't you think in their mind, they're like, how long is it going to be? Yeah. This middle part, how long? And how often do we say that? That we're like, we want to ask the why and we want to ask 
when is it going to end? How long until it's going to be over? And and maybe they're waiting for instructions where the Lord says, do this, this, and this, and I'll set you free. Yes. Right? Like, like how to get how out. How do we get out yes. of this situation? And it's so interesting because listen what the Lord says. And I just want you to imagine you are the people. You've just been carried away into Babylon. And if this is what the prophet says, um, okay, here's what you should do. Build houses and live in them and plant gardens and eat the fruit of them. And immediately, like if it's me, I'm like, I know how long it takes a garden to grow. So right off the bat, I'm like, well, we've got at least six months, right? That, yeah. And then he says this, take wives. Unless he says peaches. And have sons and daughters. And then take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters that you will be increased there and not diminished. And then you're like, okay, wait a minute. If my sons and daughters are going to grow up and be able to be married and have grandchildren, yeah, how long is the middle going to be? And um, he tells us it'll be 70 years. And that's a whole lifetime. For some mm-hmm. people, that captivity. And then he says to them this in verse 7, Seek the peace of the city, whether I have caused you to be carried away captives, and pray unto the Lord for it, for in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. And I think it's so interesting that he's like, I need you to become content within the captivity. Mm. I need you to become content with the life that is yours now and if you can create peace within the captivity then you will have peace yeah it's such an interesting concept and so that's the second thing is how can you create peace within your captivity and he he tells them there will be a time when i will visit you but he says this in verse 13 ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all of your heart, and I will be found of you. Well, it seems to me like you would really need to focus your whole heart to find him in a captivity place because the hurt and the betrayal and the whatever mm. you're going through, the sickness is so loud and so distracting. Yeah. So it's like I would actually have to really focus. And it seems na- natural. I don't know. My experience other people I've talked to that you're just like, you have this thought of, oh, once chemo's over, you know, once we get mm-hmm. to this point, once I've paid off my debt, once the the problem's been solved, then, you know, I, I will find the peace. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that the Lord's like, no, you can find it in it. Mm-hmm. And not only can you find peace, like in the middle of this, I want you to build and have celebrations, have yes. weddings, and plant things. And, and baby enjoy. deliveries. Right. Like, don't wait for it to be all over before you continue to build and enjoy and, and you know, experience yeah. all of these it things. It reminds me of a woman I met um, when I was on my way to a timeout one time, and we had been talking to her on the airplane, and someone said to her, do you see the light at the end of the tunnel? Because she had just finished her last chemo treatment. And she said the most remarkable thing. She said, oh, I've carried the light with me the whole way. Oh, that is so awesome. Wasn't that so smart? Yes. I know that you, I love that. He's like, if you just search for me, I will be found. You don't have to wait for me at the end. Right. 
at yeah. the resolution, at the promise, at the miracle. I'm not just going to show up at the Red Sea. I can be with you the whole way. And mm. there can be joy. And there can be celebration even in the hard thing. Yeah. Um, 2915 is the next lesson there. And this is just a one verse little lesson. He says, because you have said, the Lord hath raised us up prophets in Babylon. And Babylon is where they are in captivity. And I think it's a neat little lesson there too, that the Lord says, I will raise up prophets in that place. I, I will send revelation in that place. I will send direction in that place for that particular place. Mm. Like answers and help and, and heaven's guidance for the moments in the middle. I will raise them up in, in Babylon. And we're actually going to meet some of those prophets later. Um, you know one of them for sure. Daniel is a prophet in captivity. Ezekiel is a prophet in captivity that the Lord will raise up. And I think it's awesome that they have some really, really rad things that they teach us, you know, and things that happened in the captivity. I'm so glad people didn't wait until the end. Well, and he could have, God could have said, well, you didn't listen. So your consequence so is no profit for you in yeah. captivity. But here he's like, I will actually give you profits in the captivity that are going to help you get through. And um, there, you have a second tip in today. So today is a two tip in day. Um, you can put this at the end of Jeremiah, or I wanted to put it here where David was reading that I would send you prophets in Babylon. And here is a list of those prophets that were working there. We should have put Lehi, but we forgot pre-exile. Um, but you these are him. okay. You can handwrite them in if you want to. These are the prophets um, who would be working there, which is just so sweet that he was like, I, I will. Um, I will still help you have words to get you through and advice and encouragement and counsel during that time. Yeah. The other verse that we love that is so sweet is in chapter 31. Um, uh, I'm going to just start in verse 1. He says this, At the same time, saith the Lord, will I be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus saith the Lord, the people which were left of the sword found grace in the wilderness even Israel, when I went to cause him to rest. And I love um, this thought that you can actually find grace in wilderness places, that there was going to be um, strength there and deliverance and rescue and um, that, that transforming that would take place in that wilderness place. We think of a wilderness place as a place where there is maybe no growth. Mm. Um it, it maybe feels barren to us. And I love that he is like, no, there will be grace in that wilderness place. And so to look for it, to look for him within the wilderness. It reminds me of um, the story from Genesis, Ishmael's Hagar. mom, Hagar. It's Hagar. Where she finds so the good. well yeah. in the in desert. In the desert. But, um, and you, you remember that story where she takes her son and sets him down to die because they, there's nothing. There's no water. There's no food. And she goes a far way off to weep and, and her plea, her prayer is, please don't let me watch that child die. I don't want to do that. And um, that an angel appears and he shows her a well, right? He, he just shows her a well. And then it's interesting because God doesn't take away the wilderness out of Hagar and Ishmael's story. That's 
where he lives. That's where he's raised. He's raised mm-hmm. in the wilderness. But I love that grace was provided in that wilderness place. There's another really cool verse in chapter 31, but I have to connect it to 1 and 29. And if you have your journal, this is the, a fill in the blank that's there. But if you go back to 29 verse 11, I love how this begins. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you. I like how it starts that because I think I make assumptions all the time about the thoughts God has toward me mm. based off of the conditions of my life and based off of my own like human nature. Yeah, what you and, think you deserve. Right, right. It was like, oh, I know what you think about me right now. And I like that the Lord rebuttals that with, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, say it the Lord. They're thoughts of peace and not of evil. Um, you would assume if you were backsliding Israel that God was um, had bad thoughts about you, evil thoughts about you. And he says, that's no, I don't. I have thoughts of peace to give you, he says, an expected end. Um, I love that word expected. And that's the fill in the blank word. He's like, this is an end to this is something that you can expect and you can hold on to that. And if you connect that, do like a footnote, footnote, footnote. um, connection, like circle the word or something. So you'll go always, when you read it, you'll go to chapter 31, verse 17. And he's in this line, and there is hope in thine end. So this is a lesson in the middle moments to expect an end and also to expect that you will find hope in that end. There's something about um, all like in addition to like finding growth and grace in the wilderness, holding on to the promises of the future too. Mm. Like they're, both of those can dwell together at the same time, right? Yeah. Because there is something about like having hope and holding on to expected blessings, holding on to promises mm. that he has made. And Jeremiah does something really cool in chapter 32. He actually buys a piece of land in the kingdom of Judah. Even though they're gonna about to be taken away, he's in prison, by the way, mm-hmm. when he buys it, and he has his like little servant go get, you know, the deeds and everything for the land. And even though he knows we're about to be taken out of this place into captivity, it's about to be trodden down, he still buys a piece of land um, for his descendants and, and family, knowing one day we are going to come back. And I love that he takes that little deed of the land and probably rolls it up and just carries it around with him as a reminder of an expected end, as a reminder of hope in his end. And in chapter 32, verse 14, there's a phrase that he uses and he says, um, the deed that they have like the um, house, I mean the land sale written on, um, it's called the evidences of the sale is what it is. But I just love that he uses that word. Because in 14, it says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, take these evidences and take these promises with you. Take the, take this hope with you. Look forward to what God is going to do mm-hmm. in, in the future. And I loved the thought of that because I wonder when you think about like your own personal story and that thing that you are waiting for, that thing that you are praying towards every single day. And maybe you've had blessings about that thing. Um, You know, maybe the Lord has whispered to you in the quiet moments about 
that thing being mm. resolved eventually. And, and maybe you've kept track of those in a journal or maybe just simply in your heart. And I love that thought of take these evidences with you because for these people, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Like yeah. the evidence of realizing that land in Jeremiah's family is not going to come for 70 years. And do you wonder how long he, he carried that evidence and passed it down to his children and their children? This is the evidence that we will return. And I love when God says in Jeremiah 33, 14, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised. Like the days will come. It reminds me in Romans, and I, I love that he hints back towards this because I think this, here we're clear in the book of Jeremiah, um, but clear back in the time of Abraham, the Lord said something really similar which makes me think that those words then would hold true in my story and in my life. And um, Paul tells us, remember when Abraham went through that trial where he was promised that thing from the Lord and then he had to wait and wait and wait for the fulfillment of that promise. And he talks about Abraham and he says, who against hope believed in hope and being not weak in faith, he staggered not but was strong in faith being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Mm. And sometimes I just repeat those two words, able also, because I think we hear the promise, we hold on to the promise, right? You, you cling to that promise, but you doubt if God is going to fulfill that word, even though you're clinging to it with your whole entire hopes. Um, and I love the thought that he's like, don't just cling to the evidence of that promise, but believe in a God who is able also to perform it. Yeah, that um, right after he does that evidences line in chapter 32, starting in verse 17, this is what it's almost as if someone is doing that very thing right here. And they says, oh, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by your great power and stretched out your arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Mm -hmm. You show loving kindness to thousands. Great is your counsel. Mighty is your work. I've seen your signs and wonders. And it's almost as if they're reminding themselves He's of able, able also. also to do that, right? To hold mm -hmm. on to those promises. But a promise is only as good as the person who gives it. And so those two belong together. Mm. Yeah, that's um, so good. I love the thought of that. So at the end of Jeremiah 52, it ends so weird. If you read through the whole book, you would just be like, what? It's <laughs> such a bizarre ending. Like, um, and they all lived happily ever after or something is what you expect at the end. Um, but there's this little scene that happens at the very, very end. 52 is almost like a recap where it's like, yep, the, the temple was knocked down and they took all the gold out of it and all the silver and they took it away into Babylon and everybody was taken a captive away and, and, uh, and all the... Um, princes and kings and royal family was thrown into into jail and then all of a sudden at the very end starting in 31 it says it came to pass in the seven and 30th year the captivity of Jehoiakim king of Judah in the 12th month and the fifth and blah, 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 <laughs> right that the king of Babylon lifted up the head of Jehoiakim king of Judah and brought him forth out of prison and he spake kindly unto him and set his throne above the throne of kings that were with him in Babylon and he changed his prison garments, and he did continually eat bread before him all the days of his life. 
And for his diet, there was a continual diet given to him of the king of Babylon every day, a portion until the day of his death, all the days of his life. The end. And you're like, weird. <laughs> At the very end of this story, the ne Nebuchadnezzar's son, another king, pulls the king of Judah out of prison changes his prison clothes into royal clothes and sets him at a spot on his table. And that picture is the end of the book. That's how Jeremiah ends the book is showing us that picture. Now the people of Old Testament times would have known exactly what was happening there when they saw it because Jehoiakim is in the line of David. And there is a prophecy continually throughout the words of the Old Testament prophets that from the line of David, there will come a future king. And he will redeem all of Israel and he will set everything right. So to see this line of David brought out of prison, it's almost like this little hint, mm -hmm. a glimmer of hope of, wait, those prophecies and promises that God made long ago are not dead, right? They're, they're, it's like an ember mm. almost, you know, yes. in all the ashes of destruction. This little ember that's gonna and you love flame up. that it goes back to thirty one. There is hope at the end. Yeah, like that really is true yeah, of the, the book, book of Jeremiah. Like that. It's like, and I'll just put that little hope at the end. But the fun thing yeah. is that was for their people. If you go back to Jeremiah sixteen, there's also um, forward looking prophecy that hints towards our time, that hints towards our day, which I love and. That there's hope in our end also, not just in the children of Israel then, but in and for the children of Israel now, because he says, Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall be no more said, The Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but the Lord liveth that brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands, whether he had driven them. And if you get out our timeline right now, He's talking about um, he's talking about these people, right? He's he's talking about these people, the um, the people who come from the land of the north. That's a phrase that is often used to describe the lost ten tribes that they would come from the land of the north. That's what end time prophecy always wants to say. But also um, talking to these people that there will come a time when. People won't look back and be like, oh, remember when Moses brought the children of Israel through the Red Sea? There will come a time in our day where people will say, do you remember when he brought back the lost ten tribes? When they were reclaimed, when they were restored, when the blessings were given back to them on their head and they, they came back together and, and those in captivity, people will say, do you remember that highway that was built up and those people, how they came back? Do you remember how the Lord did that thing? It's crazy to think that there would be a miracle that would eclipse the Red Sea. Mm. Like it was so dramatic and it was so big. And Jeremiah's like, that's how we remember him now because it's like, and they do remember, they keep bringing it well, up. Well, and like, we do too. Right, he's like, oh, he's the God of the Red Sea. And it's yeah. just like, and he's like, ah, just wait. Um, He's not done yet. Mm. A miracle's coming that will eclipse the Red Sea miracle. Like you will see God move in greatness and in wonder in ways that... It's reminding me of President Nelson's quote where he just says, Oh, 
the greater miracles greater, are coming. Yeah, 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 yeah. Than you have seen in Scripture, and it's the, that same prophecy of of Jeremiah. And I actually think, like, as much as we feel like we're in a middle moment right now, which we are, and and we look at the children of Israel, mm-hmm. and we're like, man, we're pretty <laughs> similar to them. And there's a lot of like like heartache and turning and refusing, and we can see that happening so much. Like, I, I want to gather together people who will say, yes, but this is what I see God doing right now. And I think the collection of those miracles will already eclipse what happened mm. in, in, in the Red Sea. It's, yeah. I, it's already happening, right? Yep. God's reclaiming work and restoring work is already happening and uh, I think we're, we're witnesses of that right now. Mm. We're seeing that little ember sitting at the kitchen yeah, table. Yeah, and it is so true because like, we don't know what that big thing's going to look like. We don't know what that highway is going to be. Jeremiah talks about it. Isaiah talks about it. Ezekiel talks about it. Um, there is something coming, right? There is yeah. something coming. But I love that he tells us this is how it's going to start. He says, Behold, I will send for many fishers, saith the Lord, and they shall fish them. And after I will send for many hunters and they shall hunt them from every mountain and from every hill and out of the holes of the rocks for mine eyes are upon all their ways. They are not hid from me. And I love that thought that it might start small with, you know, one fishing pole. That's how it might start. But they will send out those who know how to find the people hidden in the crevices and in the dark parts of the stream and in the caves, right? They know, they know how to track um, them and they will reclaim them. And and maybe it starts small and maybe Mm -hmm. it starts with all those little stories, but um, they, they tell us it ends big. Yeah. And it makes me want to look forward to uh, what is that, that thing that is going to be bigger than the Red Sea miracle. What is that? Yeah. A hope in all of our end. Yeah. Right. We talked about making it through the middle, but there really is a happily ever after. Yeah. In the end. Yes. Okay. We'll see you next week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.